Hey, welcome back to the Black Health Podcast. I'm Paula. It's Mercy. I'm Khadija. Hey, everybody. It's Matthew. Y'all were eager. Um, <laughs> it's been a minute. Right, right. Uh, happy Black History Month. Whoop, whoop. <laughs> My fist is up. You can't see it. But... <laughs> Mine too. Um, how are y'all celebrating Black History Month? Well, I, I am wearing a wrap today on oh, my head. Okay, very Alicia Keys of you. Yes. At, Alicia Keys at the Grammy of you. Yes. This, this whole bit uh. is real Alicia Keys of you. <laughs> She's also not wearing makeup. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> and now I'm like, dang, I, I feel attacked a little bit. Now. No, I think it's the color. It was a zero that same color at the Grammys. Uh, oh, I she did? I only, saw, I only I saw the black the one. The black. I black either. But actually, by the time she put on the black outfit, she like had her hair in this. It was, it was a cute braid she had it in, so. I watched the Grammys and J Lo was doing a Motown tribute. I saw that. Mm-hmm. I was I... confused. <laughs> was she singing? Is my question. Like, was she live singing? Or Probably not. Recording? I saw I pictures so. of her on top of the piano. Mm-hmm. She did that, looking cute. I think Neo was playing the piano. Okay. Um, did he have a hat on? He did. Mm-hmm. You know, you know that man had a hat on. Gotta contain that big ass head. Um. Yeah, um, yeah, J-Lo did hmm. not have the talent or the voice to she, sing Motown. And didn't she say All Lives Matter? I've kind of not been she? fucking with J-Lo. Probably. I don't remember that. She did like a yeah. salsa dance hmm. in part of the Motown part. Yeah, so. A salsa in a Motown. Everyone I know from Detroit was very angry. Um, yeah. Including my mom. <laughs> my mom was texting me like super upset, so. Was she, I mean, obviously I know you said Neo, but who else was a part of this tribute? Smokey, Smokey Robinson. Yeah, Smokey Robinson got up there too. He was he was kind of up there a lot. Um, there, I, I don't feel like he sang much. It was like introducing J-Lo, hmm. and then there was like a transition. They were singing at the same time. Maybe, yeah. Um, I think Alicia sang with her at one point too. They everyone they had singing with her made sense except for her, but because she had a lot of like solo parts during it, obviously too. Oh, it was like her, it was her thing. Yeah. Oh yeah. She was definitely the main part yeah. of it. I'm trying to figure out how J Lo became the go-to for this. Was Beyonce and Mariah Carey? Beyonce wasn't busy. gonna do it. Um, <laughs> You're right, because she. Don't but she was J Lo was trying to give very Beyonce vibes. That's how I took it. Like She's her outfit looked very Beyonce ish mm. to me. Beyonce vibes. Right. So I don't know. It it was whatever. It just didn't make sense. Mm. Um. So I for Black History Month earlier this month I watched the movie Friday in like full that. for okay. the first time. Yay! What did you think? Thank you, thank you. (laughs) I thought it was the funniest movie I've ever watched in my entire life. Wow. I didn't realize so many cultural references (laughs) that came from that movie. Yes. Yes. My mind was blown. (laughs) It was hilarious. They're probably like so interwoven into the culture now that (laughs) I wouldn't even be able to like understand how many it is, but... Yeah, it was amazing. I can't wait to I watch, watch it. the because there's it. there's more in the series. Mm-hmm. It's a series. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's three movies. Next three. Friday. Okay. Friday next after next. next. Okay. And they're supposed to be making like the last Friday. Ooh, like that. And it's gonna be with Ice Cube's son. I didn't realize Ew. Ice Cube like was the 
producer or the yeah. whatever writer. writer. I was like, wow. Oh, okay. Ice Cube is a media mogul. He is a multi-talented yes, young man. <laughs> oh, older <boy>. man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was definitely funny. And then, so which one is Friday After Next? Is like the Christmas one? Yes. Okay. I like that one, too. Yes. Yeah, Next I like Friday them all. The, when they lived in the house, when they was with Day Day. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, that one's real funny. Mm-hmm. That's a mess. Um, no more locked doors. <laughs> <laughs> the Martino neighbors. <laughs> so much. Who's yeah. the dog? Chico? Chico. <laughs> he gave him all those weed brownies. Chico was high. As hell. <laughs> there was a lot of marijuana in the first one. Mm-hmm. Smoky. Yeah. <laughs> I, um... I started watching The Wire, and similarly, I'm like, oh, that's where that meme came from. Oh. <laughs> I hear The Wire is really good. I've actually never watched oh, it. Oh, you should definitely I've watch it. I haven't yeah. watched it either. Oh, wow. We're all failing. I know. There I are people who are HBO. listening to this right now who are so upset with us. <laughs> they are. I'm, I, don't have, <laughs> I don't have those fancy channels, y'all. A young Michael <laughs> B. Jordan. Michael oh, my gosh. The Wire. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So you I did heard. watch it. I, my ex made me watch it with him okay. back mm-hmm. in the day. That's what I'm going through, right? I mean, back, it's not my ex currently, yeah. but yeah, you know. Yeah. Um, so I... <laughs> I was like, wow. <laughs> that sounds really bad. No. Foreshadow. Um, no, I'll take that back. I'll put that back inside oh, my mouth. But yes, a young MBJ is on the wire. Yeah. How's his he, acting he, in that? It's so good. Uh, okay. Oh, sorry. <laughs> you don't agree. I honestly don't remember. I just remember like he glued up, glowed up. Glued? <laughs> I was like, what? Right. Like, what does that mean? <laughs> glued up. She trying to say flued out. Say glued up. You city girl that were. <laughs> So easily. <laughs> I thought he was super cute because he's young. And he plays like this little kid in the hood. And I'm like, oh, not Michael B. <laughs> little Michael B. Yeah. yeah. Did y'all see him in that picture sitting next to Queen Beyonce? Jay-Z yes. She was real close. They were real, real close. I mean, I would be real close like that. Was Beyonce. this the brunch? No, it was like after brunch. So mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, y'all were just like hanging. Damn, my phone's off. Y'all were just hanging out. Like, Beyonce has been very active on the socials. And she's been lately. giving us real captions. Yes. And she's mm-hmm. writing them herself. Think mm-hmm. so? She's up to something. You think she's actually posting these? Yes. At least she's making me believe that she is. Okay. And I think so she's dictating to someone. Maybe Blue is posting them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's so cute. I have no opinion on this. <laughs> Her titties are sin. Okay. Nice. No opinion on that either. Wow. Why? Because she's a married woman? Yes. No. <laughs> oh, you're respectful. No. Respectful McCurdy. I re- respect Beyonce's agency and will not talk about her breasts on this podcast. Okay. <laughs> Thanks, black man. All right. Yeah, so... I feel like we should catch everybody up on all the stuff that our organization has been doing. Um, so we've been doing like some events and classes and new projects. 
Um, yeah, so let's talk about Ask a Doctor, conversations, classes. Yeah, so we hosted Ask a Doctor, uh, an event that uh, attempts to break down kind of the hierarchy that exists in medicine. Um, and so we had a bunch of physicians or people who are <clears throat> experts in Alzheimer, Alzheimer's disease. Mm-hmm. Um, we also had uh, some care advocates uh, there, and we kind of just invited the community out to come and ask questions about Alzheimer's disease, about caring for a person uh, who has Alzheimer's disease. Um, and it was just a really awesome event. I want to thank uh, the physicians that were there that really uh, helped us. Um, I wanted to thank the Alzheimer's Association as well, um, and the Ponce City, the Ponce Market, Ponce City, Ponce, Ponce de Leon. Wow, Ponce de Leon. <laughs> Uh, library um, (laughs) where we hosted the event Um, yeah so it was an opportunity for people to just come ask questions uh, to learn uh, from the doctors and also for the doctors to have the opportunity to learn uh, from the people there about you know what they were concerned about and what questions they had Uh, so it was just a really awesome experience a really dope event and we're going to do another one another uh, one thanks DJ Khaled (laughs) Um, coming up soon uh, and that one's going to be on sickle cell um, and so we're really excited about that. Yeah. Um, a lot of, mm-hmm. um, majority of people who have sickle cell are African-American. Um, <clears throat> is it majority or is it all? Majority. There are some, uh, <laughs> uh, there are some uh, Mexican people that, that get Alzheimer's. Yeah. Um, um, and I don't, I don't know how many cases exist in white people, but if there are any, there are very few. Probably. Okay. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so majority black people. Um, Two things. So sickle cell. Did you know if you have sickle cell, you are less likely to get malaria? Mm. Wow. I feel like I've like heard of you that. You can't yeah. get malaria. I don't want to say you completely can't, but you really, you don't really mm. usually get it. So it's kind of, I think they say it developed as a protective factor mm. in like Western Africa. So mm-hmm. that's why it'd be in our genes. Mm. Interesting. Mm. Um, the other thing I was going to say is I learned so much at the Alzheimer's event. Like, yeah. <laughs> I was like, exactly. damn, I didn't know all of this. And yeah, it was just really interesting. And then to like, kind of talk about like how there's like an increase in like early onset. Mm. Yeah. Alzheimer's and dementia was kind of scaring me because I'd be forgetting stuff a lot. <laughs> and then she was saying she sees it in like younger people, like 30s, 40s. And I was like, oh, snap. I'm 30 and I be forgetting stuff. <laughs> Do I have it? Is it genetic? Like, uh oh. Yeah. Test me, bruh. I need to know. Yeah, and they said there's a test, a very painful test that involves like a spinal tap. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because yeah, we did all have that. Whoa. Right. And I was like, I will never do that. Yeah, mm-hmm. I was like, I'm good. <laughs> but then can't they say they can just look for the symptoms too? They can't do a non invasive test, yeah. but it's just not, the diagnosis isn't like, for sure. That's yeah. definite, right. Yeah. <laughs> like you could just be having a bad memory day. Mm-hmm. But, um, oh, and then that B. Smith story came out after our event, which, um, I, like, I think I was talking all about this, but, like, I'm kind of happy that it didn't come out mm-hmm. before the event, because I feel like that's all people would have, <laughs> I don't know, it would have taken up part of the conversation. Well, was the B. Smith story? Oh, my God, you have to read it. Oh I can't, but... So basically, this woman, B. Smith, she used to own, like, restaurants, and then she also became, she was on, a, like, a lot of talk shows, like Good Morning America, mm. um, and so she did, like, a whole media circuit and stuff like that about her being, like, a restaurant owner and mm-hmm. a chef, um, and she's a black woman, mm-hmm. and so she was just kind of, like, 
renowned for being this um, black female chef. Um, and her husband, so she has Alzheimer's now, and she has. Um, oh, this story about the white woman? Yes. <laughs> yeah, so the white woman that lives uh-huh. in her home. <laughs> <laughs> seem the story was unethical oh my gosh the situation is unethical were you gonna say something oh oh i thought i heard you say something okay sorry no (laughs) i can say something um so yeah i also heard that this white woman uh was putting her hands um on the husband her boyfriend and also on b smith Mm -hmm. um and so there's allegations of abuse that have floated out there. Um, I heard that. Which is, yeah, which is hmm. sad um, on behalf of all parties involved, um, but especially for the victim. So. Yeah, yeah. I just, I didn't see like an article about that. I just saw some tweets, so I didn't know like where that came from. But I mean, like I said, like uh, there's just so many things around it that are just like weird. Like, um, the husband and the girlfriend are like starting a radio show. So all of this, like all these stories that have just come out about their whole relationship and their, then their relationship with B Smith just kind of seemed to be like this, like press thing that they're doing Mm -hmm. for this radio show. That's Mm -hmm. the husband and the white woman. And then they're like advertising on the B Smith Facebook page for all of this. So they're using her audience, her fan base, Mm-hmm. To promote now this new thing, Their thing. yeah, oh gosh. So, it's a mess, but I like it. yeah, mm-hmm. so it kind of just shows like how you can be wealthy, whatever, but like, yeah, just having that disease puts you in a very vulnerable place, and mm-hmm. so it seems like, and the husband was talking about like how depressed he was and stuff like that because he was just her sole caretaker for the longest and everything which I completely believe that like I don't know what it must feel like you know to have to take care of someone who's losing their mind in that way and like even the woman at our our event whose husband has Alzheimer's like Mm -hmm. she you could tell she was having a a tough time Mm -hmm. so it seems like there needs to be more spaces for people to support each other in this way with this disease absolutely but yeah, anyone want to talk about conversations? Yes. So we did our first um, Black Health Conversations about mental health and entrepreneurship. And that was a really dope event. Um, we invited a lot of entrepreneurs um, throughout the Atlanta area for a little small intimate discussion in a barbershop, plush barbershop. Shout out to Steph the Barber and Mero. Um... Now they they can cut some hair. If I if I ever decided to <laughs> whack on my hair off, I'm gonna let Steph do it. Yeah, same. Cause I saw that little little heart joint he posted today. Mm-hmm. I was like, that oh, was that dope. Was I cute. saw that. That was dope. Yeah, so Steph, if I ever make that chop, I'll, I'm gonna call you. But anyway, um, yeah, it was just a really dope event. Um, we just kind of provided a space for people, entrepreneurs, to, you know, share what it's like to be an entrepreneur, and we also. Um, of course, by our favorite, favorite psychologist, Dr. Ayana Abrams, um, with us and to help us facilitate the conversation. But, and it was great. It was great. It was just, you know, entrepreneurs all talking about our struggles and as entrepreneurs in ways 
and we learned from each other. That was is what I thought was the coolest thing about it is that we all shared things with each other and um, yeah, really. Yeah, real. I thought it was really interesting um, how many people identify with the narrative that uh, they didn't have a choice but to become an entrepreneur, mm-hmm. right? Like the systems that uh, systems and structures that were in place for them growing up uh, weren't conducive for them, right? And so they didn't feel like they belonged or, you know, they were too strict or, you know, they're 12, 13, 14 years old and they need money. Mm-hmm. Um, and and how, how so many, <clears throat> specifically men, you know, identify with, uh, you know, beginning to uh, dabble in, you know, illegal activities and then having somebody come and say, hey, you know, I'm going to teach you the skill set, mm-hmm. whether it's being, we had a, a few barbers there, whether it's being a barber or, you know, learning to work with your hands um, and how many, you know, people were like, you know, at 16, you know, I, I started my own um, haircutting business and, you know, it's, it's been, I haven't looked back since then. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I, I thought that was really insightful on how people um, are pushed into entrepreneurship or making money for themselves, mm-hmm. um, especially black people when it's like, you know, I don't have the option to go to college or, you know, that, that doesn't seem like an option for me. Um, or the fact that I just I need money now to survive, right. and no one will hire me, so mm-hmm. I have to create this for myself. Absolutely. Right. Um, and it's it's like a I understand it. I I love that black people. I wish it was more of a something we wanted to do versus something we had to do. Mm-hmm. But I do like that black people are out here doing work for ourselves. Cause y'all know me, I'm I'm ready for the Black Wall Street and. Tulsa to come back where it's just all black excellence everywhere. <laughs> yes, let me buy from every black owned store on the same street. I just think like work, typical corporate environments and stuff are just kind of like oppressive for black people and like mm-hmm. stifling to our culture. Personally, for me, like my creativity, mm-hmm. very like bureaucratic Mm -hmm. and shit like that and I just think like the way our culture is set up like we just aren't made for that because they're like white systems they're they Mm -hmm. white people thrive in them Mm -hmm. like (laughs) for all different types of reasons I mean the main one being that like you know they're favored in that environment but also like they fit into the culture of that environment because they built it Mm -hmm. so yeah just for us it's like mm. and I mean just the way this country is set up like whiteness is like kind of anti-black Right. <laughs> so like, <laughs> so are their institutions and all that stuff, and so, yeah. I mean, yeah. just like the way people communicate at work, I feel like it's so like not the way black. Yeah, very passive aggressive, and I just feel like culturally, like black people aren't really like that. Um, generally, you know. But um, yeah. and then like what's considered professional and all of that yeah. kind of stuff. And I think it's hard for like millennia- millennials too. Sorry, I was just talking to this man earlier who kept saying millenniums. Like, <laughs> oh, no. So I almost said millennium. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it's just hard for millennials as well. There's so much age. Like Definitely. in my work environment, there's a lot of ageism. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just wish people would leave me alone. <laughs> oh, <my God. laughs> like I, would, I can't help that I'm the age that I am and I'm sitting here with you who's the age that you are. <laughs> like, I mean, you know people grow up like <laughs> that's cool that's part I'm, the same, of life. I'm the same age as your daughter cool your daughter's grown now <laughs> like, yeah. whatever but, also yeah. not your daughter right i have a mother right. and she's not you <laughs> so 
Yeah. <laughs> okay, what about the classes? What classes do we teach? We taught one at Emory. Yes. Yeah, we taught a class on race, racism, and health. Mm-hmm. Uh, to the macro social determinants of health class um, at the school we graduated from at Rollins. Shout out to Rollins. Yeah. Um, so that was pretty cool. You know, we love talking about racism um, and how racism impacts health outcomes for uh, black people, but generally all people. Um, <clears throat> yeah, so that was a cool class. I don't know if anybody has anything more to say about that. Oh, shout out to uh, Rose from oh, Black yeah. Moms oh, yeah. Matter. Um, she helped us out with the lecture and the activity, really provided some great insights and resources. Um, so y'all look up Black Mamas Matter if you have any um, interest in maternal health. Uh, they are doing wonderful things in that mm-hmm. arena. Uh, they're really blowing up and they're really, they really yeah. do great yeah. work. Mm-hmm. So. They're awesome. Policy, everything is awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so Rose helped us co-teach the class. Um, yeah, like Matt said, she was just like a super huge help really nice person um and it just speaks to black mamas matters alliance um and just how like they've got some really great staff over there and yeah they're dope they're they're definitely like an organization we look up to for like Mm -hmm. the products and stuff that they put out and just Mm -hmm. how strong their voice is in that space um trying to get like them so trying to sell out conferences yeah hell yeah they they sell they sell the conference out out. (laughs) yeah that's how you do it okay i was like teach us the way jump into our health current events segment or whatever it's called um yeah so if you don't know what it is this segment we each come prepared to share a story about some aspect of health and how it's affecting black people um and so just in the process we educate each other and our audience at the same time and that's why i really like it that's what's cool about it um so yeah so matthew go ahead hit us with your topic yeah so um today i want to talk about 21 savage um, and <laughs> immigration issues and the black experience related to immigration. Uh, 21 Savage was arrested uh, on the morning of the Super Bowl. Uh, he was riding in a car with another rapper, Young Nudie, and they were both arrested um, and detained, uh, what uh, they called a targeted um, incident. So I think they were going after Young Nudie. Um, and then once they found out that 21 Savage was not a U.S. citizen, uh, they contacted ICE, uh, which oh. is the Immigration and Customs Enforcement uh, agency within the federal government. Um, and so ICE uncovered that uh, 21 Savage was uh, what they called an illegal immigrant. His visa had expired, um, or he had, they said he had allowed his visa to expire and was um, in the United States um, illegally. Um, and I thought it was really interesting because they also went a step further and like tried to discredit his image. They did. Um, yeah. It was like, you know, he had <clears throat> a whole persona persona that was false and he was acting like a person who he wasn't, uh, which isn't really something a government agency does, right? It's not like it's like, hey, 21's fake, right? We're going to arrest him. <laughs> right. It's like, you know, 21 isn't who he says who he says he is, and I think it just goes um to show how this real co-intel pro like. Right. How how the government works to like 
um, try to turn people away from other people, mm-hmm. um, uh, which was really interesting. Um, and so, yeah, he was arrested. He was he's actually uh, was freed this morning, uh, free released on bond. Um, but there was a whole thing about how you know Twenty One Savage was um, detained, and it was a, a, civil, a rights of a violation of his civil rights um, because he was held without bond. Um, and so, he, you know, his lawyer was saying, you know, Twenty One hasn't tried to hide his um, his status, his immigration status. He actually filed for a visa um, a, a few years ago. Um, you know, his and he so they had that he he was documented. Um, and that he was trying to get through that process. Um, the long process. The, the extremely long process uh, to become, uh, to get to get asylum. Um, and so he was seeking asylum under a visa um, that was, that he was a victim of a crime uh, from the, the murder of his brother that mm-hmm. happened. Um, and so he was saying, you know, because of that hardship, he, you know, was not able to go back home uh, to where he was from. And so I think it was just really interesting, first and foremost, to see like the reaction that happened on Twitter, which, you know, became a bunch of memes and, mm-hmm. and then Demi Lovato says something and then everybody was talking about how Demi was like addicted to drugs, which probably isn't really cool either, um, but she should just <laughs> she should watch. She should sit there and shut up. Yeah, she should she stop She stayed in her lane. Sat um, there and ate her food. <laughs> <laughs> she put too much dip on her shit. <laughs> My favorite. Uh, no, she really no. She came. She came when the wave was turning. Right. <laughs> Everybody was joking for a second, but then the wave started. Like someone was like, "Hey, this isn't right," and people were like, "Yeah, you're right. This isn't right." I Let's think there's a lot of this. just like serious. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. People didn't fully process yeah. like how fucked up it was, but then when people started really thinking about it, they're like, "No, what the fuck?" Yeah. And then. Demi Lovato came. <laughs> yeah. I was like, whoa, Demi. Yeah. Girl, we don't fool with you like that. Yeah. And so I think um, a lot of people are really looking at this situation um, in sort of an isolated context. But I think it's really important to, to kind of ground 21's experience as a black person in this kind of greater context with immigration issues mm-hmm. um, in the United States. Um, and so... When most people think about immigration, um, now we, we're thinking of uh, DACA, we're thinking of Dreamers, we're thinking about Donald Trump's wall that he would like to build. Um, and, and rightfully so, most people are thinking about um, immigrants coming from Central um, and South America. Um, but there's this whole group of people um, coming from uh, black countries, black people coming from the Caribbean, coming from Africa, um, who are you know, dealing with uh, the context of, of America's racism mm-hmm. um, and really global racism, um, mm-hmm. and which is kind of hyper, hyper, um, hyperlized. And that's, that's not a word, but we're going to rock with that. Hyperlized. Um, and, <laughs> I like that. And, hyperlized, um, glued out. Glued out. We just make it up. <laughs> right? um, kind of in, in the American context. Um, and so I think it's really important to, to think about his experience um, related to um, other uh, black people's experience. And so I have some st- statistics. I really can't speak today um, talk about black immigrants. Um, so it's black Im- immigrants comprise just 5.4% uh, percent of unauthorized population in the United States. Um, and then 72 of the total non-citizen population. Um, mm-hmm. And so those are relatively small numbers, but they make up 
about 11% of all immigrants in removal proceedings. Mm. Um, so a small percentage, but they're making up um, kind of more than more than their actual percentage mm -hmm. in removal proceedings. Um, That's racist. Exactly. Um, more than one <laughs> out of every five non-citizens facing deportation on criminal grounds um, before the Executive Office of Immigration Review is black. Mm. So that's one out of five. Mm. Um, and we've seen an increase um, from 2017 to 2018. So the U.S. deported almost twice as many black people um, between 2017 and 2018. Um, so I, I think what we're actually seeing is um, the overpopulation of black people in America having an effect on the deportation of black immigrants, mm. right? And so because you can be so easily um, arrested, charged for a crime, and then deported, um, because they're existing kind of in this, in this racialized society. Mm, um, that's smart. I feel you. Yeah, people are, people are, being, <laughs> people are being targeted mm. a bit more. Um, and these statistics came from uh, New York <clears throat> University Law School. They actually have a pretty cool report called The State of Black Immigrants. Um, if you guys want to check that out, you can read it at stateofblackimmigrants.com. We'll put in the notes. Um, yeah, and so I, I just want to see, you know, what, what do you guys think about, you know, kind of this 21 Savage and how, you know, we don't really think about immigration issues as a black issue. Mm -hmm. um, and I know I, I hadn't really spent a lot of time um, thinking about immigration. I know Khadijah has been on your mind for a while. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so I just want to think about that for a while if you guys have any thoughts it makes sense and it also makes sense why people don't talk about it either mm -hmm. um, but I know my best friend is Jamaican and I know she had an issue a few years ago I, I think her uncle ended up getting deported back to Jamaica but he'd been in America for a long time serving the military and everything mm -hmm. and they deported him yeah. okay. and um so it's like, how do you do that, though? Like, yeah. literally serving the military? I also learned that um, <clears throat> you can commit a crime as an immigrant, um, and then, like, the limit of statute is unlimited, right? So you can commit a crime five years ago, oh. and then they can decide yeah. randomly that they want to deport you because of that crime. Wow. Even though you've served your time for whatever you did, you know, you've been living your life. Uh, mm -hmm. They can suddenly decide that, hey, um, you know what? yeah, you we have don't to leave. Want you here anymore. Right. Wow. Um, and then this also exists kind of in the context of, you know, the separation of families that is happening right now at the border. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I think uh, the government has separated over 2,000 children from their families at this point. Mm -hmm. um, and like the places out there, the ICE detention centers are, are terrible. Um, mm -hmm. You know, they said 21 was held um, <clears throat> 23 hours in confinement. Mm -hmm. You know, wow. was allowed one hour of free time per day, if that. Um, so he was in there nine days, and he probably spent nine hours outside of his outside. cell. If that. If that. Mm. Um, and a lot of these detention centers are actually for-profit centers. Mm. Oh, that's um, And so they're running at, you know, low cost, mm. trying to keep all costs low. So food is low, mm -hmm. you know, activities are low. Um, and so I think it's just a real problem that's, you know, really happening to black people. Um, and I think before, and I can admittedly say, like, before uh, the arrest of uh, 21 Savage, I was not paying attention to it at all. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, like, that's the thing. Because, like, you think about it, but you don't, not, like you said, not in that context. Yeah. So. It just, it doesn't seem like 
always, unless you are a black immigrant and this is like, mm. you know, kind of on the forefront of your mind and you've experienced this and thought about this with your own family members. Um, but, you know, as the majority of black people in the United States are descendants of enslaved Africans. So, you know, we're citizens, right? Mm. Um, so generally I think the the larger black community doesn't consider this as a black problem right. that needs to be solved and I think that that's just why it's often not at the forefront of our minds but um, you know as we move forward and attempt to be more like um, intersectional and thinking of all the different um, like subgroups of the larger black picture like this is definitely one of them that we mm. see as being uh, affected um, and yeah, man, I think just, I just think that was interesting. Like, and I never even really thought about this, but like this kind of like overlap between the over-policing of just black people mm-hmm. and then the over-policing of immigrants and mm-hmm. ICE and the role of ICE in our country right now and how, and the police. So like mm-hmm. the police are looking for young nudie or whatever, probably targeting young nudie, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they, you know, kind of find this Mm. immigrant person also it's almost like they get a a two for one or whatever Mm -hmm. (laughs) and they get right on the phone to ice like hey you know here's something for you to do you probably would like this you know all of that Mm -hmm. so it's just like that's really interesting how like like although black immigrants are a small population they probably feel extremely exposed just with the general like being black is a very easy way to end up um in the justice system And so, yeah, so then, like, your immigrant status is definitely, Mm -hmm. like, uh, very shaky um, and put in jeopardy by stuff like that. And we all know that, like, plenty of innocent black people get caught up in these things and get charged for things. Mm -hmm. um, Or just, you know, they get charged for crimes that, like, even if they did do them, but they're things that, like, a white person would get away with until the end of time. So, um, (laughs) yeah, that's just interesting. <laughs> yeah. right. um, oh, oh my gosh! We watch abducted in plain sight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. oh and God. that was the wildest that shit I have ever yeah. heard, and a perfect example mm-hmm. of the white man the getting white away. <laughs> Literally, oh my goodness! But yeah, I've been. Um, talking with Matt recently um, because I have a friend we have like a mutual friend Mm -hmm. who um, was in the United States on a visa through like a really prestigious uh, like scholarship program Um, and she had to go back to um, her um, home country in Northern Africa Um, and she's just been like dealing with that whole process um, of um, like navigating uh, just like work and school in mm-hmm. the United States and all the barriers and she's was always telling me just like how privileged I am uh, mm-hmm. just being born here mm-hmm. and how just like I feel like just like becoming friends with her um, and just like seeing what like she's been going through um, has really like honestly like like made me extremely upset and enraged and like the idea that like as like all of this stuff is like their social constructs like the idea that like (laughs) us as human beings Mm -hmm. with the full like physical ability 
to go wherever we want to, we literally can't because of these barriers that we have put, like society has put in place. Exactly. (laughs) And literally that you're a real person. Right. And that like paperwork is literally built off of this like racist, like Uh, like literally if you're from the US if you're from European country if you're from like Australia you don't have the same issues getting in and out of different countries than you do if you're from um, a black or brown country the global south yeah mm-hmm. that yeah. makes me so mad it's yeah. not fair yeah, yeah. so um, okay Let's transition. So just so that this podcast is not three hours long, mm-hmm. um, I'll try to keep us on track. So mercy. <clears throat> Today, ladies and gentlemen, I would like to talk about anti-vaxxers. Mm. Yay. I'm so, oh. Yes. Okay. So as we all know, there has been a resurfacing of measles. So um, right now, currently, the state of Washington has declared a state of emergency um, because they are currently dealing with the like largest outbreak they've had. Um, there have been 36 confirmed cases and 11 suspected cases. Um, so yes, it's the largest they've ever had ever. Um, I think one of the largest in the state of Washington mm. that the state of Washington has had. Um, and so it's been this like, but seeing like cases of measles have been kind of going up since about 2013. Uh, every year since 2013, we keep seeing more and more cases of measles, and so it is all triggered by these people who believe that vaccinating their children is bad. (laughs) So protecting your child from these deadly diseases that have been eradicated or, you know, had vaccines created for a reason. Right. But okay, fine, whatever. (laughs) So why, like, why are they trying to, why do they believe this? So I'm going to take you guys on a brief history lesson of the anti-vaxxer. So this actually began back in 1763 in oh, France. Goodness. Yes, mm. we're going way, way. The French. We're way, way back, okay? The nasty dirt. <laughs> <laughs> right. They, okay, anyway, yes. So um, France uh, decided to, the first um, anti-vax movement started in France in 1763. Um, this is when inoculation first began, and so the a doctor there did not properly quarantine inoculated patients, so therefore people got sick versus getting better, so that's kind of where it all started. So mm. Parliament was like, oh, no, no more vaccinations going on over here. Mm. Um, then we move on to 1796, Edward Jenner engineered the smallpox vaccine shout out to ed hey he saved millions with this vaccine okay great but then even still <laughs> even when that happened we had the beginnings of the anti-vaxxers it was a distrust in medicine and doctors they were concerned about safety and sanitation and um 
Also, clergymen said that smallpox was God's punishment and it should not be treated and people who contracted smallpox who just died because that was God's plan. It's not my God. Not my God. <laughs> That's that white God. <laughs> I don't know him. Okay, so then in um, 1853, England passed the Vaccination Act of 1853, making vaccination mandatory for all infants up to three months old and then there were also penalties if you didn't want to vaccinate your child. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, of course, this is what really sparked it. Parents got so outraged, they started the Anti-Vaccination League. Dun, dun, dun. So then, in 1879, this British guy, William Tibb, carried his ass across the pond and came to the States. Mm-hmm. And after he came to the States, we start seeing anti-vax groups pop up mm. in the U.S. And so these little new um, anti-vax groups um, started waging court battles against certain states that had um, mandatory vaccination laws. And then in 1885, the Anti-Vaccination League had this huge march in England. They said it was about 80,000 to 100,000 participants. They were out there with their signs that said they were like anti-vax signs. They had um, children's coffins, which I don't really know why they would have children's coffins considering if they don't vaccinate their child, they'll be burying those kids in those coffins. But wait, didn't there used to be like mercury in vaccines? Like, wasn't that part of the problem? Oh, we're going to get there. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Old divorces. <laughs> you, you about 50 years early. Oh, goodness. <laughs> Maybe 100. <laughs> so, okay. And then, so as a result of these um, <clears throat> marches, oh, and they also had like burning pictures of Edward Jenner. Like, they were real mad at him. Mm-hmm. Um, so, because of these demonstrations, the Vaccination Act of, ni- of 1898 removed the penalty for refusing to get vaccinated. So, this is when we kind of start to see the beginning of, like, the loophole of getting around mm-hmm. vaccinating your, your kid. Okay, so then in 1902, back to the U.S., there was a smallpox outbreak. The Board of Health in Cambridge, Massachusetts, Massachusetts required (laughs) that um, all residents had to be vaccinated, but then somebody refused, and so they had a case that went to the Supreme Court. Supreme Court was like, any state could enact laws to protect the public from communicable diseases, so you can be mad, but you're going to get this vaccine. Um, In 1924, we start seeing vaccines for tuberculosis, tetanus, diphtheria, smallpox, typhoid, influenza, whooping cough, polio. Yay, vaccines, curing all the bad stuff, right? People should be excited, right? I'm excited. I'm enthralled. No, I'm still trying to wait for a <laughs> I want to get mercury out of the vaccine before yes. I get excited. I'm, okay. I'm, I'm on their side up until okay. mercury is Cool. <laughs> so, yeah, and still because, you know, people going people. In 1926, there was still opposition to vaccines. Um, some health officers arrived in Georgetown to vaccinate some townspeople, and they were met with an angry mob and run out. So nobody got vaccinated that day. Mm. What year was it that doctors were putting leeches on people's bodies 
<laughs> I don't know about because... no leeches now. <laughs> they used to like bleed people out. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like when were the well, if that was going on when the vaccines were invented, I'm not trusting no doctor. Well, <laughs> what I will say is from what I read in medical apartheid, they were doing the leeches and stuff during slavery. So I mean, this is some 1800, so mm-hmm. it's, there could be some overlap there. Yeah. And you know, I mean, you know, they were they've always experimented anyway. <laughs> That's a whole other topic. So then in 1955, I think this is what really sparked a lot of the anti-vax movement. Um, There was a polio vaccine that inadvertently contained the live polio virus. And so 40,000, there were 40,000 cases of polio, 53 cases of paralysis, and five people died. Mm. So now I can see people being like, oh, uh uh-uh, player. Y'all done gave me polio. Right. Right. So like, dang, that's messed up. Okay. And then in England in 1974, there were 36 children that suffered some neurological conditions after they were um, had the immunization for diphtheria, tetanus, and pertussis, aka the whooping cough. Mm. Wait, why? What happened? Why did they suffer? <laughs> it was I think just you're conv- like you're convincing me. I'm <laughs> <laughs> no, just kidding. But yeah, you know what happened? <laughs> it was just um. They, you know, it was they didn't have like the same safety practices and stuff. So oh. things, you know, they just get contaminated sometimes. Okay, so this is my only like argument is that you know the Tuskegee experiment happened, and there's a lot of black people that still do not like going to the doctor, and so yeah. sound like they were kind of fucking up. I mean, it's gonna be some fuck ups, but it's so. like, but <laughs> no, when you compare it though, like yes, thirty six children stuff from this unfortunate condition but how many children were saved right. and did not contract diphtheria mm. tetanus or whooping cough yeah terrible diseases terrible yeah. polio it's like now you know you can't move yeah mm. paralysis i don't need any of that i need that vaccination <laughs> yeah people are ignoring the numbers and the science exactly that's available like widely now exactly because, I mean, you know, when you're looking for information, you only tend to look for information that supports what you believe. So, mm-hmm. and then over in Sweden, between 1979 to 1996, they decided that, hey, y'all heard about what happened in England. Nobody getting diphtheria, tetanus, or pertussis vaccines around here. This okay. was from 1979 through 1996. Oh, during this time, 60% of all children in Sweden contracted whooping cough before the age of 10. Wow. That sat 36 compared to 60% of your child population. Sounds like bad policy. Sounds like it to me. Then in 1998, dun-dun-dun. This British doctor released a research paper investigating the relationship between vaccines and autism. That's the one. This Mm. was the one. And then, also that same year, the Green R Vaccines Movement, Paula, which was a public campaign to remove thermos, 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 whatever and other toxins <laughs> from vaccines as this the marisol is contains mercury so these two events both happened in 1998 and so everybody is like oh my god my child's gonna get autism oh my god they're injecting my child with mercury 
Um, so even though there is no evidence of harmful side effects of thermosol, in 1999, the U.S. public health and medical organizations agreed to reduce or eliminate thermosol in vaccines. So most vaccines that you get nowadays either have a very minimal amount or none at all. But again, these are the two driving forces that are really pushing this new anti-vax um, movement. Um, and so this, that happened, but in 2000, there were no cases of measles transmitted by patients within the US. The only cases that we had in the US came from infected patients outside the US. Mm. Mm. So yay, no more measles. Vaccines work, but the anti-vaxxers apparently work harder. Mm. Because in 2007, silly-ass Jenny McCarthy um, said that her son was diagnosed with autism and said that vaccination was to blame. So now she done got all these anti-vaxxers riled up and started all these little advocacy groups blaming vaccinations on autism and da 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 hmm. So now everybody is all, oh, I'm anti-vaxxers. And then the hoteps caught wind of it. And now black people all like, oh my God, it's a government conspiracy. But let's talk about how that autism article that came out was debunked in 2011. It is fraudulent. That dude lost his license. He lost like his <laughs> medical license for that because they said that study was just so bad. Yeah. And it caused so much harm. So much like, harm. Yeah. Because I mean, at this point, the damage is done. Like nobody really cares that that article people, has been proven false. People they, still talk about that study like today. Yeah. yeah. They're like, it was, it was in science. Like, yeah, the science that was proven to be false. You talking about that one? Oh, oh, you didn't know? Because uh, you just read something on Facebook, right? So now that's the thing, too. Like, Facebook is kind of being pressured to shut down all these anti-vax groups. Because mm. they apparently, like, that's where, like, a lot of their cult following is mm. on Facebook. Mm -hmm. Which makes sense. Because Facebook. Um, yeah, so now Facebook is under pressure. But knowing Facebook, they're probably not going to do anything. Because Facebook never does anything so yeah I mean vaccinate your children because <laughs> they're safe vaccines are safe they do not cause autism um, the mercury in there is minimal if even existent at all um, it is not a government conspiracy I'm not really sure what the government could be plotting on by protecting you from disease um, and it was so funny I ended up on one of those reddit pages um, mm -hmm. and it was an anti-vax mom like oh my gosh I wish there was a way I could like protect my child from measles does anyone have any ideas <laughs> Matthew do you have an idea I heard about this thing that's out there mm -hmm. where they like get in a lab and like use kind of like dead cells from diseases to mm. kind of create this like magic serum Ooh. that then they put in your body. Wow. Magic you say? It is magic. Mm. It is I'm magic. I might be with it. Yeah. I like magic. And then <laughs> so it like increases your immune system response mm. to whatever they use whichever they use. For example, measles. Oh. Mm. Mm. Put that in there. <laughs> put that in there. Um, and your immune system builds these antibodies so that the mm. next time it sees this disease it can fend it off wow. and you won't get sick 
this is so futuristic. I just, yeah. I just oh, if only we had some science <laughs> that could actually make such a magic serum available at like no cost, right? If you have like insurance. <laughs> if, if you have insurance. <laughs> I mean, cause. Wait, no, you know people who don't have insurance don't have to pay for vaccines, not for their children, right? Yeah. No. Oh, um, yeah, so yeah, I think a lot of people actually like, they don't like the idea that like there's the virus is in the vaccine and probably because of that one incident that you said where they accidentally gave people the live polio virus. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, no, like the virus that's in there <clears throat> is deactivated. It's just the shell. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's like, it's like a, a sheep in wolf's clothing. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So, <laughs> in there so... undercover stealth mode. Yeah, so your body just learns what it looks like and knows, like, they get good at... Your body gets good at fighting it before it has to deal with the real thing. And you're all good. Yeah, so it knows what it looks like. And so as soon as, like, a little... One little measles, like, virus gets into you, your body just, like, kicks its ass and it doesn't get to, like, multiply, so... The flu vaccine (laughs) does not cause the flu... If you get the flu, after you get the flu shot, it is because of one of two things. One, you was you already had the flu before you got the flu shot. You just didn't know it. And two, um, it's only like 30% effective because of how the flu changes all the time. That's a whole nother discussion. The flu is scary. Yeah, the flu changes, yeah. replicates itself, mm-hmm. modifies itself. Um, and so most vaccines only cover... Uh, certain variations of the flu Mm -hmm. Um, you can contract Mm -hmm. another version of the flu that your vaccine did not cover Mm. Um, yeah that's why you have like Mm -hmm. h1n1 you have bird flu all of these different types of flus that are really hard to fight and then like scientists have to kind of like guesstimate which flu virus is going to be the most like um prevalent one that flu season so they yeah. don't always get it right. But... The more prevalent one and the most dangerous one. Yeah, yeah. true, true. Um, because it's, if there's, you know, flu, flu strains that people are more likely to survive, um, they're going to focus on the ones that are actually killing yeah. people. Yeah, that's true. <clears throat> mm-hmm. Yeah, I was, um, I don't know if y'all read that little Emory magazine thing. They, they, do y'all get that sent to y'all? I do get it. I don't read it. I don't read it. What? I read it. <laughs> really Too good article in there um, right before Christmas break about like how um, we would probably see like another epidemic similar to the Spanish flu again mm. in our lifetime. I remember that headline. Yeah, that shit was scurry. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> I read it on the plane too, and then this lady kept coughing next to me, and I was like, "Oh my god, she is." patient zero oh, <laughs> oh my goodness but no it was really it was really scary um so i will get my flu shot i used to be anti-flu shot but i started working in the hospital and they made me get it and now all of my friends are pharmacists so they make me get it as well and mm-hmm. i mean i haven't had the flu so i'm gonna go with it works that's real cool so what are they gonna do in these jurisdictions where they're, they're having these outbreaks like what's the plan I don't really think they got one yet. Okay. Um, you know, everyone now Thoughts is and prayers. Basically. You know, they're trying to contain it. Um, but since a lot of these states have, like, enacted these, like, laws where 
you don't have to get vaccinated if you, for like personal belief or religious reasons, Mm -hmm. it's kind of... The religious exception law. Yeah. It's not really too much legally they can do. Um, So CDC obviously is out there monitoring everything um, and they're just, you know, kind of pumping information out to parents, like hey, if your kid was in this area or if they haven't been vaccinated, even if they have, like, still be I would be so mad if my kids go to a school and people aren't vaccinating their children. Mm -hmm. I'm punching everybody in the face. Well, your kid, if your kid is vaccinated, they're they're fine. But still, like... Mm -hmm. What if you have a kid who can't get vaccinated for, like, health reasons? That's what I was going to say. It's it's other vulnerable people in our population that cannot get vaccinated and they need the herd immunity to help mm-hmm, them out. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, so now, like, these anti-vax kids are, um, you know, compromising the whole herd immunity thing. Mm-hmm. And I also found um, all these anti-vax children who are, like, teenagers, um, their parents are anti-vax, but they're not. They're like, bro, I want to get vaccinated. Like, fuck this shit. Uh, I'm not trying to yeah. die. You know, because yeah. they've done their own research. And they're like, you know, I feel like my parents made this decision for me, but wow. I yeah. get My vaccinated parents. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, so like this one kid, like for his 18th birthday, because um, he couldn't legally get the shots without parental consent. So when he turned 18, he went to the clinic and got vaccinated. And his mm. parents were outraged, but he didn't care because... Mm-hmm. He is protected now, and I'm happy for him. Congratulations, young man. Mom. I also, I think I heard in that same story, I was reading about that 18-year-old 18, 18 that went and got vaccinated, but I think they're trying to change some laws so mm-hmm. that, like, people who are, like, 15, 16 can decide for themselves yeah. if they want to get vaccinated, like, some kind of, like, medical independence or whatever type of age limit that's lower than the legal age limit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I did read that as well. So, you know, I don't, I don't really know. I clearly anti-vaxxers have been around for a long time, so I don't really know how we can change our mind unless we just say, um, back to the old days, bruh, you either get vaccinated or you get penalized. I think you have to get all that shit off Facebook. Yeah. I kind of agree. Like, that's the... They do like, need this shit off Like, you know, they do those studies that show, like, people who watch, like, Fox News, like, become more conservative and stuff like that. Like, if mm-hmm. you just keep feeding your brain with that garbage, you really do start to believe it. Yeah. And so they should... It, I do think Facebook should make a... Con- like, an effort, a better effort to, to shut that down. Mm-hmm. It's harmful. Um, it's far, and it's also, like they need to educate the, the kids. Mm-hmm they educate the kids as they're coming up more about what vaccines are, they'll, they won't be afraid of it. Exactly. But yeah, so um, we're going to transition into my topic. It's, um, I think it's a good jumping off point from yours because, Mercy, you're talking kind of like about just like distrust with medical system. And my topic is about maybe why you should be distrustful of the medical system. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah. Trust them, but don't. Yeah. <laughs> Paul is starting an anti-vax <laughs> podcast next week. <laughs> I'm gonna have like a double life. <laughs> um, all right, so yeah, basically we started Black History Month off with a bang, um, with the photo surfacing of the Virginia Governor Ralph. I think it's like Ralph Northam. Mm-hmm. Is his last name? Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it like literally came out. It broke on February first. So um, wow, literally just started. Happy Black History Month. Here's a little bit of historical racism for you. Blackface. Yeah, blackface. Get it going. Um, I saw someone tweet something like. Do people know Black History Month is not about like re-traumatizing black people? It's supposed to be about <laughs> you know, we're not trying to relive the history. <laughs> right. So anyway, um if you don't know the story, a photo uh surfaced um from Northam's yearbook uh in the nineteen eighties of there's one guy wearing blackface and another guy next to him is wearing a KKK robe mm. and they're like, you know, chummed up and uh <laughs> arms around each other and smiling <laughs> in this photo that's in the yearbook and so I have two um, hmm. actually no I have three things to just kind of like highlight about this um, so one it was not a high school yearbook you know I think when people when I hear yearbook I was kind of thinking like high school or something um, not that that would necessarily even really change like how I felt about it but it's just it is like just I just want people to get the full picture that this was a medical school yearbook. Um, mm. So he was very grown. Um, it was oh, all, and I want to shout out the school to Eastern Virginia Medical oh, no. School. EVMP. I did I did a pre med <laughs> school high school program there. Were there and people in blackface? Did you see them? No, I didn't see anyone in Hello, blackface. Black <laughs> But I do have to admit that I am unfortunately was raised in the Commonwealth of Virginia (laughs) where this this chaos is occurring. Mm -hmm. I saw someone tweet that Virginia is like making a fight to be one of the most like racist states in the US. Like it's 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 trying to beat out Alabama. (laughs) Wow. I hated Virginia. Oh, that's sad. The worst place ever. Yeah. But to your point, Paul, and I think maybe this is where you're going. Like it just highlights institutional racism and structural mm. racism. Oh, definitely. That's where right? I'm going. Because uh, <laughs> I'm gonna let <laughs> you finish <laughs> then. <laughs> no, but yeah, for sure. Sorry, what Comfortable publishing it in the yearbook was. The it was. Other it was thing. normal. It was right. normal. Like, oh yeah, this is a cute picture. Right. Okay, that goes into my second point. Sorry. So, um. So so the thing is like the photo itself wasn't like labeled like underneath it this is who this person was on the left and this is who this person was on the right um but the photo was on his yearbook page layout uh, like mm-hmm. you know like when you're a senior or something yeah. you get like a whole spread so the photo was on his spread so his name is at the top of the across the two pages mm. um and so it's like he put the page together himself or the yearbook club put all his favorite things together onto <laughs> like, you know, like make a little or collage. like yeah, this was you. So and, you know, so like I think we know kind of what happens in the story, but like you know, he says that it's not him or whatever. But it's like After either it's you or it's a few of your favorite things, which is like <laughs> weird. Um, and then so like the third point I want to make about it, just to like really get into it, um, he's like in like for real blackface. Like this isn't like. <laughs> I just like, you know, wore a tan and I'm dressed up as a uh, crazy eyes from Orange is the New Black. Like, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Who did that? Right. One of those celebrities did that. But anyway, yeah. um, no, like he's wearing like a bow tie. He's got like the straw hat, like co- cocked to the side. Um, and he like painted himself black. 
he's literally dressed as like the darky icon mm-hmm. from those old cartoons and those stage plays. Um, so not just I'm and this, none of this makes blackface better. Um, I think I'm just trying to point out like he was literally being the racist stereotype. Right. Like not yeah. it's not that he was just like. Like, he said something later about, I dressed as Michael Jackson. Like, he was not dressed as Michael Jackson in this photo. Um, right. You know, none of this. Michael ain't that dark. <laughs> Never Michael's that not dark. that dark. And, I mean... Especially not in 1984. <laughs> right. No, no. Michael's so, changing. no, like, he's dressed as the, um, the icon of black racism. What and like, like that, um, along with the very, very dark painted skin. Um, so yeah, like I said, like we know what happens. He apologizes, um, this whole long, like whatever apology. Um, and then he comes back and he's like, so apparently it's like he checked with like other people at the school that he knew or whatever. And cause he like couldn't remember if it was him or not. Or <laughs> so, so then he said, Oh wait, actually, I don't even think that was me. But, like, I did once do blackface because I really liked Michael Jackson, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, so it was just stupid. But, like, the reason I know that it's him, um, and so this is what I was telling y'all earlier, before we started the podcast, I told them that, like, I have, like, a, a good little nugget that I found on Wikipedia about this situation that I haven't really heard anybody else talking about. But, um, so CBS News found an earlier picture of him Mm -hmm. from when he was in his, uh, military school. So it was just a few years. It was, like, three years before this blackface photo. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so under this picture, like, it's actually, like, his picture, his name. And then under his name are, like, these nicknames that they gave the students. Mm -hmm. One of his nicknames was Coon Man. Oh, (laughs) my. Stop it. So on Wikipedia, Coon Man is a link you can click on. Jesus. When you click on the Coon Man link, it takes you to this fucking picture of this person, (laughs) this darky person, you know, like very dark skin, bow tie, hat. Like, (laughs) so that's why I'm like, you motherfucker, you know that was you. You You dressed as Coon Man on the regular school to school. That was your shtick. You Mm -hmm. were known for doing that. Mm -hmm. That's why people were calling you Coon Man. No, mm-hmm. like you are not motherfucking racist. You are not fooling me, sir. <laughs> but wild. also, like, let's say, like, even though it is him, let's say, even if it wasn't him, that kind of defeats the point because that means there's still a medical student at EVMS <laughs> in 1984, right? Dressed in blackface, along with another medical student and dressed in a fucking uh, KKK hood. Exactly. exactly. And I'm like, so that clearly had to maybe have been like a Halloween party. Let's just say that it was a Halloween party, but how do we know they weren't reg- having some little coon man KKK party? It's probably regular ass Monday. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> like, it was probably February 1st. Like, <laughs> like what it says like about medical schools Mm. and 
you know, the people who matriculate out of them are doctors. Mm. (laughs) Like, it was accepted, it was applauded, it was looked at as a joke, it was published. Mm -hmm. Like, someone wasn't like, hey dude, what the fuck are you doing in blackface? Get out of this party. They literally were like, oh, let's take a picture of you and the KKK. Mm. So it's like, clearly this association of racism, like the two racist costumes Mm -hmm. getting a picture together. They were probably friends already. They probably orchestrated that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then take a picture and then all these other people, like, yeah, like, usually schools have, like, a yearbook club or whatever it's called. So, like, all these other people who put the yearbook together put that picture in there. Administration usually approves yearbooks mm-hmm. <laughs> and things that are in them. So, admin let that shit slide. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just, like, proves what black people have been feeling and saying for a very long time and and you know literally experiencing but like some of these doctors are really really racist like for real racist mm-hmm. um and are politicians but i think we already know that mm-hmm. um i think doctors are kind of considered to be these like unbiased like experts flawless like people in their field and that's just not the case like they're the products of this racist society like the rest of us are Mm -hmm. and you know we know how racism has impacted white people it's like you know it's caused them to become white supremacists um Mm -hmm. because they you know get a lot of benefit from the privilege that they have and so you know being a medical doctor and just because you might study science and everything like that does not like exempt you from thinking that way and you see this like very it's very blatant when you see this like in the culture of their school their medical school Mm -hmm. it's a professional school it's like supposed to be preparing them to go into this workforce as doctors like people take so much pride in like being a doctor which they should and like you know you take that oath in medical school like Mm -hmm. all of that stuff is like or before you come a doctor and everything but like you know, this is like, it's supposed to be this time period where you like really learn how important what you're about to do is. And he's, I almost called them N-words, but these right. <laughs> motherfuckers. <laughs> these motherfuckers was wearing blackface, like mm. as jokes. And so I'm like, that's kind of scary because that just says to me that you grow up and become a doctor who wears blackface right. as a joke. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so... um yeah and so it's just like uh, just like i'm not trying to like sow more seeds of distrust but i think black people like we're often told like our experiences like aren't real they aren't our experiences and i think there's been a lot of black people who especially like when i wear my black health matters shirt or just generally like you know people want to when they hear that you're doing something in health a lot of black people have come up to me and just told me about all these stories of like yeah and I, i felt like the doctor was racist and i felt this and blah 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 Mm. And it's like, if you feel like you're experiencing racism in the course of the medical care that you're receiving, that's a very, that's very, very plausible. Right. <laughs> like, yeah. Don't it feel is. like you are crazy mm-hmm. and you're playing the race card or anything like that. Like, no, you should, you know, do the best that you can to get a new doctor, um, you know, or seek help in your situation. And I mean, I know that that's not a, a perfect solution because oftentimes we don't get the help that we seek. It's not hard. It's not easy for us to just go switch doctors all the time. Um, But at least I feel like people should be validated in knowing that they are not making this up. Like the evidence is there. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, you know, as far as like a real actual solution is that medical schools need to do better. Mm -hmm. Um, This should be embarrassing for this medical school. This should be embarrassing for all medical schools. And they need to improve their curriculum. And like, 
really put a lot of like racial sensitivity, bias mm-hmm. training, mm-hmm. Um, yeah, all yeah. of that in their curriculum. And they need to do a much, much better job about connecting doctors to people in need. Like these people should not just be up in the ivory tower learning about bodies and not meeting, not knowing people, not learning mm-hmm. about people. Um, they need to go and meet people, go in these communi- communities. That should be a, a part of their learning that is required. Yeah, um, they should yeah. all have to get like their masters in public health. I feel like like that should be a prereq for med school. I agree. Um, cause yeah, like you need to be able to understand it from a societal level as well. I think mm-hmm. a lot of stuff instead of just looking at people as a body of symptoms and mm-hmm. whatever. Yeah, and like even though those pictures were taken in the nineteen. 19- 80s at a med school a lot of these still these same beliefs and this medical racism still exists like today right mm-hmm. so i just pulled up um the study that the university of virginia did in 2016 mm-hmm. um of over 200 medical students and residents um white medical students and residents and the study um, asked questions around um, like different biases between like what they thought, what they perceived like white patients to go through in terms of pain or in terms of like uh, health uh, outcomes or conditions versus black patients. And the study found that over half of the um, participants um, believed some of these false. Uh, like claims around black patients in terms of like black patients experiencing less pain mm-hmm. um, and black people aging like sl- more slowly than white people <laughs> um, and just like a lot of these like <laughs> black don't crack is killing us <laughs> right, right. You know. yeah but like these s- medical students and residents like stu- like in that have already gone through med school like have these beliefs so yeah yeah (laughs) i had a discussion with this with a couple of my homeboys a few weeks ago and i was just saying like because my friend was saying he went to a white physician to get a physical he went to a white woman and i was like you went to a white woman black man for your physical exam what the hell are you thinking and so we got into this whole discussion and I was just basically saying it's important that black people go to see black physicians and I was like because of the biases that we see a lot of times with white physicians even if it's like you know it's unknown a lot of times they might not even realize that they're being biased towards black people and so my friend was just saying that he was like well I just refuse to believe that all white doctors are bad and I was like I mean I'm not saying all white doctors are bad But I'm just saying, if you can find you a black one, you should do that. Mm -hmm. Because, I mean, they not all bad, but (laughs) (laughs) do you want to take that chance of you finding the bad doctor? Because I tell you something that pissed my ass off. My mother been going to the same eye doctor for 20 years, had always been complaining about her vision being worse, the glasses not helping, and he just kept saying, oh, you need a strong prescription, strong prescription, strong prescription. So every year she would go to the eye doctor, she would just get a stronger prescription. His old white ass retired, and so she went and found her a black eye doctor. First appointment, the doctor said, well, no wonder you can't see. You got big ass cataracts on both Mm. your eyes. Mm. I'm sorry, what? 
<laughs> for 20 years. So she had her cataract surgery, and she was just like, wow, the colors were so bright. I've never been able to see <laughs> this see. well. <laughs> like, for real. Uh-huh. Like, she was so happy. Wow. She's wow. like, I've never That's been amazing. able to see this well, like, since I was a kid. And it's like, wow, you had cataracts. The black doctor caught it her first visit with you, but this white man been ignoring you, been ignoring you for 20 years. Mm. And honestly, maybe he didn't know what he was doing. And I think we also have this habit of like putting expertise on white people that we don't put on black people. Like mm. there are, as soon as a white person starts talking, they're considered an expert. Mm. <laughs> right. And I mean, and yeah, so we do that with doctors, especially, I mean, mm. we, cause they're doctors, but like, yeah, nah, if they're saying something that doesn't sound right, go get a second opinion. From a black person, probably would be your best bet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. But yeah, all right, Khadija, you're up next. <laughs> hey, it's Khadija. Hey, Khadija. Hey. Girl. <laughs> <laughs> um, so for those of you listening, um, Black Health is having an event as part of our Black Health Conversations series, a sequel to the. Um, mental health and black entrepreneurship conversation um and this new conversation will be around interpersonal violence and abuse in the black community and since you all are listening on your phones on your laptop whatever medium that you listen to podcasts um it won't be able to attend i wanted to share um a little bit of the um conversation um and some of the um, information that we're going to be talking about at the event with you all um today so uh i think this topic of like interpersonal violence domestic violence like abuse uh trauma in the black community has um been spotlighted recently in different cultural uh, stories. So from R. Kelly's bitch ass mm. but um, Kelly. to, <laughs> to like Kevin Hart's homophobic ass mm. um, to uh, <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> um, uh, to like there's been like a string of like black women who have been murdered by their partners Mm. um because of like domestic violence like interracial domestic violence um there's just um the constant stories we hear of trans women that are being murdered um black trans women being murdered Mm. um even like uh, recently, Jesse Smollett um, and the like racialized homophobic violence that was acted upon him. Um, there's just a lot. There's a lot of trauma, a lot of a lot of violence. Yes. So um, that's why we want to have the event coming up. But um, I've just been doing a little bit of research on like. Why, like, what are some of the factors? Like, why is it that black people of different identities are disproportionately impacted by interpersonal violence and mm-hmm. abuse? 
Um, so there's this term called intergenerational trauma. Um, and that basically means that there's a transmission of historical oppression that negatively um, impacts generations um, to come when it comes to uh, health outcomes, health behaviors. And there's a growing body of research on this topic of intergenerational trauma. Um, a lot of this research is actually on native populations. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, there's um, studies um, around how First Nations people um, who have suffered from historical unresolved grief have higher incidence of behaviors like domestic violence, substance abuse, and suicide. Um, and so that same like intergenerational trauma um, is also seen in black communities. So what that translates to is these racialized disparities in um, violence and abuse. And we see that early on. So there's um, this other term, and I think I've talked about this on the podcast before, called adverse childhood experiences, um, which are traumas um, and abuse that happen early in life as a child. So examples of this can be um, like neglect, um, sexual abuse, um, physical abuse to a child, but also a child witnessing their mother um, being a victim of domestic violence is an example of an adverse childhood experience. so black children are more likely to have more adverse childhood experiences and those traumas um, that end up uh, shortening our life expectancy, ends up um, increasing our likelihood for be- behaviors like uh, domestic violence when we get older um, against uh, mm-hmm. people like in our interpersonal circle. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's those adverse childhood experiences. And when you pair those, um, so there's this term called the pair of ACEs. Um, so you have the adverse childhood experiences, um, but also adverse community environments. So another ACE, which is basically that larger, like, built environment around the child um, that can negatively impact their health outcomes and their likelihood to engage in um, like problematic behaviors later in life. So if you um, live in poor housing conditions, if you have um, poor like access to like quality schools, if you live in like a food insecure environment, like that larger societal like environmental factor compounded onto like interpersonal um uh adverse childhood experiences like in your home like in your immediate circle just increases your likelihood to replicate those Mm -hmm. um traumas and violence like yeah, yeah exactly um and so we see that, and we see that with um, intra racial intimate partner violence. Mm-hmm. So um, I see a lot on Twitter 
um, the hotep side of Twitter <laughs> um, getting mad when black women and black men and Terry Crews, who's another person I should have mentioned earlier I on, um, like experience some type of like abuse or violence. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, um, this hotep side of Twitter, think like we're out to get. Like, right. black men. We hate black men. I heard R. Kelly was being lynched. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. But... That's a real thing yeah. that happens to people. Yeah. yeah. But the But the fact of the matter is that when you look at intimate partner violence, in within race, racial groups, it's going to be more prevalent. So there's going to be, like, white... On white, like, yeah, interpartner like domestic right. violence, and there's going to be like more right. black on black like interpartner violence because too. right because those are our partners, mm-hmm. um and but like just in general, still like black people are more likely to experience domestic violence, interpartner violence, um and when you look at like the like root causes of why these disparities exist from childhood to later in life around violence and abuse it all goes back to racism racism yeah good job that's, that's what I was, gonna, yeah. I was gonna guess that too. <laughs> <laughs> um so yes like racism is like a structural root cause for these health disparities help like uh like health behaviors um and when you look i think it's really it is extremely important also to look at like other root causes of like health disparities that compound onto racism mm-hmm. like sexism mm-hmm. like queerphobia transphobia ableism mm-hmm. so when you look at like subpopulations of like the black community like certain certain identities within the black community are even more susceptible to violence and abuse. That's why, like, a a black trans woman's, like, life expectancy is, like, in, like, the 30s or 40s. Yeah. That's why, like, when you look at, um, like, sex trafficking and sex abuse, um, the, a huge percentage of the children that are, um, brought into that are like queer children of color like trans Mm -hmm. children of color um and so like like a disproportionate exactly exactly yeah yeah. so um like it's really crucial to just look at like certain black identities are even more likely to Mm -hmm. suffer from violence and abuse um so, yeah, I just wanted to talk about that. I also, I was telling Matthew this, I rewatched the Nina Simone documentary, mm-hmm. not the one with that light skin girl that. and blackface, the other one. <laughs> the good one? The good one. Um, and even, like, in, like, as, like, brilliant, like, as Nina, like, is, like, was, um, like, she went through just, like, domestic violence um and just like abuse like in from her partner Mm -hmm. um and that translated to her child her daughter like suffering that same like Mm -hmm. abuse and trauma um and just that getting passed on Mm -hmm. um so that's just like one example of that like intergenerational trauma but Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, it's sad because it really is a cycle. And so I know... So Erica Badu claims that's what she was trying to say mm-hmm. when... But, you know, she, I be, she be... Mm, but... <laughs> <laughs> she's been real problematic. Yeah. She's a whole hotel. Let's... let's yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> be like, girl, okay, yeah. like, you doing too much love and light for me, sis. Um... But, yeah, so at, at the root cause, that's what she was trying to say was just that, like, he was a victim himself. So, you know, that is why he is now victimizing all these young women. But, I and I, I understand that it is a cycle and it is something that happens. But, like. Go to therapy. Right. I was going to say, why not just mm. go get help, bruh? Like, you know that shit ain't right. So, why harm other people when you clearly see what it's done to you. And why do, like, why does our society, like, our community, jump to coddle black men in that way, in a way mm-hmm. that we do not do for black women? Like, right. if a black woman does something wrong, it's like, she was an adult, she knew better. I mean, even when you talk about, like, child support, you decide to lay mm-hmm. down with that man, exactly. that broke man. <laughs> like, everything is like, you definitely, as a black woman, are your agency that you it's debatable that how much you have but it yeah. is thrown in your face for any fuck up that you mm-hmm. make i mean and shit, even the girls that are victims of r kelly people are still blaming, blaming them. him for being exactly. there and it's like yeah. well, but he is the predator like exactly why are we still at the end of the day trying to make this black women's fault and I do think, like, there's something to be said about R. Kelly also being a victim himself and all of what you said, Khadija, mm-hmm. you know, it goes back to all of that adverse childhood experiences and things. And, like, but I just feel like Erica Badu's statement was, like, it was empty because it's just, yeah. like, oh, we should feel, it's almost like she was asking us to feel, you know, bad for him. Yeah. She wasn't offering solutions. She wasn't saying there are young black boys who today are suffering what R. Kelly suffered and we need to prevent them from growing up to be R. Kelly. Mm -hmm. This is how we should do that. Those men need to be in therapy. They need to be loved better. We need to protect these young black boys. R. Kelly is a lost cause. Yeah. (laughs) He needs needs to go to jail. (laughs) Very underneath that bitch. (laughs) Yeah. Actually, no, put him in general pop. Mm. You know what they do to niggas who touch on children Mm. in general. Man, we can't be advocating for <laughs> anal rape on the airway. So, uh, I just, I said nothing. She did not say anything about that. Okay. I just said. They just look at them mean. Right. Matthew. <laughs> he might get his lunch snatched. <laughs> okay. He might, he might not get a meal that day. Exactly. Okay. All right. You know. Might no wings out. They might not let him join the hoop. We'd be, we be trying to be professional, y'all, but you know. <laughs> I can only be me, me, me. Yeah, no, I, I, I think I agree. There's a, there, this, there's this pervasive thing that's happening um, that happens in black men where, you know, in order to seek control or to um, enforce their kind of dominance, um, they resort to physical outlets. Um, And then, you know, there are all these theories about um, because black men haven't, um, you know, live in this racialized society and because they can't can't be the dominant white man that now they kind of replicate those, Mm -hmm. that structure and what they see and try to do that um, on the people that are around them, which are often Mm -hmm. Um, women and children. Black women and children. Mm. Um, yes, yeah, so I, I think that that you know we have to, like Paula, you were saying, we have to 
teach boys better ways to love and mm. get boys in therapy and, mm. and give them um, opportunities and teach them how to express themselves and express their emotions and give them positive outlets mm-hmm. um, rather than blaming women for um, all their wrongs. All their wrongs, yeah. Um, well, we can definitely talk about this at our event and we're going to have a representative from Men Stopping Violence there, so... You know, I hope he really gets into that as well. Um, it'll be interesting to hear like about his work in this this field. Mm-hmm. All right, guys. Well, I hope you all were educated, engaged, and empowered <laughs> <laughs> after listening to tonight's. Well, I guess whenever you decide to listen to it, actually, it's not necessarily. It's tonight for us, but not for y'all. Maybe who knows? Anyway. Thanks for listening, guys. Um, We will make sure that we include links to all of the information that we have discussed tonight in the... Show notes, like in the notes. Oh, in the notes. Okay. (laughs) Mercy don't listen to podcasts. I don't, y'all. I'm sorry. I listen to ours, and, like, that's, like, it. I I like to listen to music. Um, But, yeah, thanks for listening. Uh, Drop us some comments. Let us know any content that you want to hear from us. And stay tuned. We got some great stuff coming in 2019. See y'all next time. Bye. Bye.